This time on the Roll Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. Can you imagine the, the emotional roller coaster? You've got to hear your heart beating. I can't even imagine what they put this kid through, but they did. And he went through it, and he went through it like a man. I mean, when you saw him on the witness stand, he was just calm, cool, and collected. He never let them see him sweat. He was just grace under pressure, the definition of it. And I don't know if we could have had a better situation where somebody actually defended themselves, actually let the world see the Second Amendment at work. This is exactly what it's all about. Trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio. His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike. Boy, oh boy, is there a lot going on and we have a lot to talk about today. The big elephant in the room for America. Kyle Rittenhouse. Hell yes. This is big news. But I want to, before we get into it, and we are going to, I just want to say something about the fact. Here I am. I'm in Tallahassee, Florida. Boy, do I get to Tallahassee a lot. I really do. It's crazy. But, you know, I've been traveling across the country, this time by car, not on a motorcycle, which, by the way, was going great up until I pulled in to a gas station. When you get into Texas, they got these gas stations every once in a while with these huge places to eat. They got all kinds of food and coffee and restrooms. And it's not like truck stops. They're people car stops. And they all got cute little names and all that. There's like two or three brands and they're set up all over the place on the road. So it's been a nice drive and I'm on the phone a lot. I'm listening. Of course, again, you can't help but listen. It's compelling. Listen to the, the Rittenhouse trial. It's ongoing. And it's, it's a lesson. It's history in the making. It's everything. And I'm going to talk about everything. I just want to talk a little bit about the ride. It was great. And I pull into the big gas stations, 20, 30 pumps and all this stuff. And right behind me come two Harleys. Booze fighters on Harleys, and they pull in. I left California a few days ago and rode through Arizona. Didn't see any motorcycles. I mean, I see them on the road going the other way. And <laughs> so here I am, and there's just something about riding motorcycles in this country, going right, you know, like what I do. And I go, oh my God, I'm in this car. It was cringeworthy for me. And then I had the best time today driving through, and I've always had these great memories about Panama City, Florida. I was stationed where I used to go TDY down to Fort Walton Beach to Herbert Field. So then it was the home of the Air Commandos. It's where we did a lot of the training to be a combat controller and TACPs and, and all the rest of it. 
And I was stationed at Shaw Air Force Base, which is kind of the home of the Tactical Air Command. And then we'd shoot down to Hurlbit to do training all the time. Well, we went every place. And whenever we went to Hurlbit, I'd take off and get to Panama City whenever we could. And it was just the best. I get to Fort Walton Beach, actually, once in a while. I went there for a combat control a reunion, a CCT reunion, two or three years ago. It was great. I decided one of the places, if I want to move to Florida, one of the places I had to look at was Panama City. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's moving material. I think that train left the station maybe 30 or 40 years ago for me. But, oh, my God. I talked to a friend of mine, Boomer Craig, who lives in Birmingham, but he's got a house here in Panama City, comes down here a lot. And he says, Mike, you got to go to here and there. Okay, I got all these this help. And so I went to the first bar he sent me to. And then he says, hey, by the way, there's a place called The Alibi. And it's owned by a PJ, PJ from Vietnam, whose name is Cheap. Oh, okay. So I went to the first place where him and his buddies all hang out. He wasn't here this weekend. I went to that place. It was kind of a cool place, old place, right off the beach. And then I said, okay, I'm going to head out of town. I'm going to look around. But I got to stop at the alibi. So I drove two minutes to the alibi. It was awesome. I had the best time. Met a bunch of people. I'm going to be talking about that a lot more. They got this thunder on the beach that happens here twice a year in the spring and in the fall. And I've never come. It's the same time as Bike Week and Biketoberfest, and I'm always in Daytona. But I just had the best time. Well, let me get down to business. Having the best time is nice. and I, I wanted to relay that to everybody because it really felt good, honest to God. So I, I was happy about that. But I was really happy to see the jury. And by the way, you got to hand it to these people. What guts, what courage. And when you talk about the jury system, nobody wants jury duty. Everybody says, you know, hey, how can I get out of jury duty? So here we have a jury. Not only do they stick it out and go through the whole thing and sit there for the whole trial and they deliberate for a whole week. And I think that was very smart of them. This jury, I'd like to meet each one of them, shake their hands and thank them for the job they did. Would I have said that if he was found guilty of something? I don't think that you could judge some things on the outcome that you either want or don't want. Well, I would probably be pretty skeptical if they came out with anything but a total acquittal. But I'm not going to take that for granted either. So I don't know what my uh, emotions would be if he didn't get a full acquittal, if they found him guilty on some of those charges. But the evidence was just so compelling. And the lies told by the prosecutors, the lies by the media, the lies by so many people. And today I see the headlines, riots all over the country from the, the, the Rittenhouse trial. Every, they're rioting all over. Well, you know what? You could blame the media for these riots. The media has just lied consistently, given you know, people are allowed to give opinions. That's one thing. But when you give an opinion, somebody's life is on the line here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear the other side already. Well, he took two lives. He took two lives and he ruined another guy, shot him, and 
So yeah, lives are on the line. Well, his life is now on the line. And if you're going to take those lives seriously, and yeah, we should, you got to take this kid's life. Kyle Rittenhouse, he's on trial. The president of the United States, well, this was before he was president, comes out and calls him a white supremacist, some sort of a, a racist. I mean, this is unheard of, but it's not just him. All these other people, and especially the media people, poisoning the well. If there was ever a definition of what does it mean when you say poisoning the well, that's what these guys are doing. They're opinion makers. They change people's minds about things. They're supposed to be giving the people that watch their TV shows, listen to their radios, or read their newspaper columns or whatever. They're supposed to be giving them real and accurate information. And we keep on hearing the term fake news for the last five years, fake news. Of course, fake news is always inappropriate. But here's an 18-year-old kid who was 17 when he shot these three criminals. And he was 17. He's a kid. Give him a chance. And if the evidence proved that it wasn't self-defense, that he was a perpetrator, well, okay, if that was the case, give him a chance. Don't condemn him before the trial. And then... After the trial, boom, what are they doing? They're inciting riots all over the country. I think what they did was criminal. And by the way, I made a mistake the other day when I was talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and the riots in Kenosha a year and a half ago when he went down there. I said it was because of the George Floyd killing. It wasn't. They were rioting because there was a black guy named Jacob Blake who was shot by a cop, and they kept on saying that, oh, this cop killed Jacob Blake, which Jacob Blake is alive, and he shoots an unarmed black man. That's the media. That's the news. That's what they're putting out there. Well, the guy was not unarmed. He was armed. The cop was responding to a DV call, domestic violence call, and he was in the process of kidnapping a kid. And so the facts don't mean anything to these people, the MSNBCs and the CNNs, and okay. the, the facts don't mean anything. And they put it out that this white cop killed this black guy and, you know, as if he was wrong. Well, the cop was exonerated. He didn't do anything wrong. And the mother of the kid was, you know, just so pleased and thrilled to have a son back unharmed but nobody's talking about that. That doesn't make headlines. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, bleeds has taken on a big definition because they're just beating these stories to a pulp and they're getting every drop of blood and guts and everything out of it. This is what these journalists want to do. They're not journalists. And to say they are is just wrong. And to continue to give them whatever licenses that they have, whether it's CNN or whoever else, the FCC needs to get involved and, and say, this has got to stop. So the, the jury, you reach the verdict after, what, three and a half days of deliberations? Some people say this is an extremely long time for juries to be out. So I'll take their word for it. They certainly were very careful. People kept on saying after the first day, 
And okay, the second day, you know, people say, oh, I wonder why they're taking their time. And I said on the podcast the other day, I was on Roll Right Radio and I said, they need to be very deliberate. They need to demonstrate for all these people on the other side. And not, not just because they're afraid of rioting. There were two people killed. That's not frivolous. I know that the one guy was a pedophile and he did this and the other guy was whatever. And I forget about that. It's a human life. And they've got loved ones and families. And there are people that want to know that the guy that took the lives and then shot this other guy, that he was given a fair trial, fair on both sides, fair to the victims and fair to Kyle Rittenhouse, the accused, who wanted to be fair. And so this jury just took their time, went through everything, and people, like by Thursday, they were saying, Oh, Leo, what's going on? It's taking so long. Well, I got to tell this jury, such a great job. And what do they have? What do they get? What's their reward? Threats. Condemnation from some of the biggest names. Obviously, the biggest names in politics. Yeah, I mean, all these Democrats, it's unbelievable. They don't get the verdict that they want. Now, if they were watching the trial, if they knew what they were talking about, they might see that the evidence was clear. Not only the evidence that showed that Kyle Rittenhouse acted in self-defense, but the evidence that the prosecutor, the DA, lied, fabricated evidence, and withheld witnesses. This is corruption to a degree that should outrage everybody. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care if you're a pacifist. I don't care how you feel about the Second Amendment. This is a whole new level of corruption. And I don't see how the American people are standing for it. I, I just don't get it. No matter how you feel about the trial, the trial's done. It's over. He was found innocent on all five charges. Innocent. The evidence was there and it was clear. So what are you going to say? The man is vindicated. And I say, accept it and let's move on. Now, if something else happens, fine. But the media stirring this pot, they, they're pushing because they want more news. They want more headlines. They want more riots. They want more buildings burned down. They want more. So this is what they want. You cannot tell me that they are not well aware that what they're doing by denying the fact that this was a fair trial. And by the way, it was not fair to Kyle Rittenhouse, not by any stretch of the imagination. And yet they are saying that he's guilty in the first place. Here's this kid, 17 years old. He wants to be a nurse. Okay. So he comes down. The riots are going on in Kenosha. No. I keep on hearing that, you know, he lives in Illinois. Why do you have to travel all the way to Kenosha? Well, it's 21 minutes from his house. He works in Kenosha. His dad lives in Kenosha. So he lives with his mom in Illinois for the most part. And then he spends a lot of time and lives with his dad in Kenosha. That's where his dad lives. And by the way, he didn't carry 
his AR-15 over state line. He went from Illinois to Kenosha, which he did on a regular basis anyway. But the AR-15 was in Kenosha, and it was legal. So we go into the trial with the news media out there perpetrating this lie that somehow he crossed state lines and that was illegal because he crossed it with an AR-15 for the, the purpose of going to Kenosha as if it was like this foreign country. Oh, yeah, it crossed state lines. When he did, it was illegal. and shouldn't have done it. And you can't do that. And what are you talking about? He's from Kenosha. His dad lives in Kenosha. And he goes down there. This kid who wants to be a nurse, and he's helping some of these people who are getting hurt in these riots. Now, this is the second day he goes down. People are hurt. His friend who has or owns a car lot asks him to come down and help with the security, help guard the place. So he goes down there, and not only is he bandaging hurt people, he's also cleaning up graffiti. He's a do-good kid, man. He's a good guy. There's nothing in his background that would even give you the slightest hint of him being anything but a really good guy. And he goes there, and all hell breaks loose when these hoodlums, what do you call them, Antifa people, BLM people, they see him and the other people who are trying to help the city of Kenosha. This is their city. Their friends have these businesses. We were all here about the mattress company, this company. They sort of boarded up and this. This is their friends, their neighbors. And they're trying to help them out. And these people are coming down there. Oh, we're rioting. Because that cop, he shot Jacob Blake and he killed him. And this is just a lie. And it's creating chaos and damage. So whatever it was about, it's just wrong, and it's, this is a fire fueled by media. It's one thing to put out fake news, which is bad, but this is just damaging the country. You media people are wrecking the country, wrecking it. So what does the DA do? Now, the DA, by the way, there's a whole bunch of criticism of the DA by professionals. I'm not a professional. I'm not a lawyer. But you don't have to be a professional to see this guy. He has Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand, and he asked him, why are you in Kenosha? Like, what kind of question is that? If you're the DA, you had to know. You ask a question? I mean, it sounded like he didn't have a clue that this kid's dad lives in Kenosha. And he was asked to come down by his friends to help them because they didn't want to get damaged by the riots. And he, he was just going down to help people. And then the DA says, why were you putting out the fire? And Kyle looks at him and goes, because it's a fire? I mean, it's like, are you an idiot? Then the DA has his own witness. The guy that Kyle shot, this guy attacked Rittenhouse, and Rittenhouse shot him, and the DA hits him. Well, were you pointing a gun at Kyle Rittenhouse? No, these guys, 
They get together. This is rehearsed. They practice. They talk. They got to prepare for these things. He's had six months to prepare, which, by the way, Kyle Rittenhouse has been a Boy Scout his whole life. They give him a $2 million bail. $2 million? He's got a single mom working to support a family. You know, he's got two sisters. They don't have this kind of money. $2 million. Meanwhile, all these other people, Kamala Harris is paying the bail for all these people that were burning buildings, committing real crimes. There's no bail in New York. I don't know where else there's no bail. Maybe San Francisco. For whatever criminals, we see these criminals who are getting out with no bail. They lock them up. Then they're out with no, no money. They just get out on their own, quote-unquote, recognizance because of this no bail thing. And these are real hardened criminals. They're in there for rape. They're in there for murder. And I mean, here's Carl Rittenhouse. And is he a flight risk? Two million dollars? So what they've been through, these, this family, it's just, it's all unnecessary. It's all just unnecessary. Here we are. And the country is like, it's being torn apart because nobody is trying to calm anybody down. The politicians are feeding the fire. I, I mean, listen to the quotes. De Blasio, you know, you know De Blasio is going to say something stupid. He's a stupid man. And, and what he's done to New York is unforgivable. But to say the thing, he's disgusted with the further, the guys are racist, the guys, and then Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo, the former governor of the state, says this is a stain on the soul of America. No, Andrew, you are a stain on the soul of America. You virtually murdered a lot of people by putting them back in nursing homes when you knew better. And then you had the Board of Health or whatever the, the authority was in New York lie about it. You are a stain in America. You didn't just kill two people who were trying to kill you, which is what Kyle Rittenhouse did. You killed virtually hundreds of innocent New Yorkers that you put into nursing homes. What you did was unconscionable. And if that doesn't even include what got you thrown out of the office of governor, which was sexual harassment. And you, where do you come to make these kind of statements? And then statements by all these other politicians, Jerry Nadler. Now, let me tell you just a little bit going about Jerry Nadler, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, okay? Now, I want you to remember this because there are parallels. Back in 1991, remember Rodney King? Do you remember these cops were chasing a guy? He was high on Whatever, he was high on cocaine. He was racing like a train. He was going through L.A. Now, you're a cop, right? Make believe you're a cop for a minute. You just want to go to work, do your, do your job, keep the streets safe, keep the public safe, do what you need to do. You know you're going to come up on some stuff. But how do you really think cops feel when they're chasing a car, a guy who's a criminal, who's racing through the streets of L.A. at over 100 miles an hour? You're going through your head, I might not get home tonight. 
Are we going to crash and burn? What's going to happen? How many cops get killed every year on the job? I'm not just talking about the ones who are getting ambushed and shot. Boy, there's plenty of them. I'm just talking about the ones who are on the job, riding the motorcycle. And, and here comes the Northridge earthquake, and your, your bike goes off the bridge. Driving the car, and all of a sudden, the criminal comes. You got this chase. Oh, yeah. You watch the movies, and the cars crash and burn, and everybody's okay, right? Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. In real life, they're not okay. They're beat up, cut up, died. They go to the hospital, broken everything. I mean, this is not a, a job. And, and we just, yeah, we defund the police. We're down on the police. But this is ridiculous. You got to look up to these people. Men, women on the job. And they're chasing this guy through L.A. And they're angry. And they're upset. And then they grab him. He's fighting with him. He's punching at him. He's high and whatever they try to do to subdue him because he's so damn high, you can't hold him down. You can't hurt him. This is a big guy. I th this is the real deal, man. So let's say they got a little out of hand. Let me tell you something. I was a bad kid. I was definitely a juvenile delinquent. I got my share when I got home. My dad always used to tell me, you dance, you're going to pay the piper. That's it. Some people never learn that lesson. And then they get all upset. I didn't love when, when I got, you know, Billy Club on the back of the legs. I didn't like it. I didn't like a lot of stuff. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I'm going to condone it. But it's going to happen. And these cops, you can criticize them. But, you know, there's somebody with a cell phone, a camera or something taking the pictures. And what happens? Oh, they look terrible. But guess what? They go to court. They get dragged through the system. And it, it is not an easy thing to do. Have you ever gone through this system? It ain't good. Quote, unquote, system. Yeah, right. So, and they, but they get dragged through the system. They go to court. Now, I'm sure that. The unions and whatever paid for the lawyers and the thing and everything, and they get exonerated. Yeah, that's right. They were found not guilty. So what happens? This is 1991. What happens is the federal government, because do you remember the riots in L.A.? Oh, yeah, the Rodney King riots, because this criminal doing over 100 miles an hour through the streets beating on the cops who were trying to subdue him and arrest him, maybe they got carried away. Maybe they did things they should have done. They didn't kill him. They didn't maim him. They beat him up. Jury found them. You know, they were doing their job. Okay? The place goes nuts. What was the cost of that to the city of L.A.? Forget about all that. Let's just remember that after the jury found, him, found the cops that they were not guilty, I didn't say that they found him innocent, they found him not guilty. This federal government came in under George H.W. Bush and went and tried them on civil rights violations, violated the civil rights of Rodney King. Yep. So people are saying that Jerry Nadler, the, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, is looking 
to go after Kyle Rittenhouse because he crossed state lines? Well, that's a distraction. If they're going to go after him, they're going to find some federal charge someplace hiding in the woodwork. They're going to find something. And be careful because this is just not good. Now, I don't know that's going to happen. I sure hope it doesn't. I wouldn't put anything past these people. And they're going to also use this as a good reason to enact more gun laws. More gun laws. I shouldn't use the word enact more gun laws. What they're going to do is they're going to find some legal way to infringe on our rights to keep and bear arms. That's what they're going to do. That's what these Democrats, these liberals, are going to do. If there was ever a reason that was demonstrated to keep and bear arms, it's exactly what Kyle Rittenhouse did. Because there were riots in the streets. He went down there to help and protect people. That's all he went down there to do, to help and protect. And thank God. He had that AR-15 because otherwise he would have got killed. When you look at all the murders in this country, I don't know what the exact numbers or percentages are. I should look it up and check it out. There's a lot of people who are being stabbed to death. Probably as many or more that are being shot to death. But there are even more who are being beaten to death. Check it out. People are being beaten to death. All these riots, going back to George Floyd, all these riots after that, after the Memorial Day murder of George Floyd, there were 30 or 40 people killed. There weren't 30 or 40 people shot. They were stabbed. They were beaten. And so when you're in the middle of a riot, the man, this kid, hey, he's a man. I got to tell you, he's a hell of a man for a kid. But he had every right to fear for his life. He knows what's going on. He went down there with open eyes. He knew what he was going into. He had the courage to go down there to his hometown. And then it got totally out of hand. They started chasing him down. The guys who were chasing him were bad people. We've seen that. If you're going to you know, look at Kyle Rittenhouse's history, if he had some record, if he had been arrested, for a few things, the jury might have looked at this in a whole different way. So you got to look at who these guys were that were coming after him, threatening his life, hitting him, kicking him when he was down, hitting him in the head with skateboards. You know what I mean? So the media is now, again, perpetrating this life, putting it out there, just fueling the fire of rage that the man is a racist. They're just doing it because. This is what the, the politicians are saying. This is giving cover to these media, these journalists. And again, I want to point out that if it wasn't for the local journalists, the guys that are just getting out there and writing these things, doing this for their own whatever, and they're putting it out on the media, if, if they weren't using their cell phones to record this, if they weren't being there as a witness, we wouldn't know the truth. We wouldn't know anything close to the truth of what happened. And that's really a shame. We need to look at this and understand this 
And a freelance journalist are really saving the day. But the journalists who actually work for the New York Times and the Washington Post and all these others, they're just liars. They're making this stuff up. And you know what? A lie by omission is just as bad. And sometimes it's worse than a lie that you commit by telling something that's not true, by leaving out the truth. It's just as bad, and it could be worse. So people, they need to be scrutinized. We depend on them. These are people who are recording the history of our life as we live it. This is the record of who we are. Do you really want to tolerate it being this inaccurate? I'm not just talking about Carl Rittenhouse. I'm talking about so many other things that are going on at the same time. And a kid like this going through this process, boy, I got to tell you, the system sucks. Going through the system, the legal system, whether it's civil or criminal, but certainly the criminal system, you're being dragged through living hell. And it's a horrible thing. But I try to explain how it might feel when you're sitting there day after day. By the way, it's not just sitting there day after day. That's when you're in court. What about all the weeks, all the months leading up to this thing? You're going over the thing with your, with your lawyers. You're looking at what evidence is there against you, what's there for you, trying to come up with a strategy, how you're going to win this, what they might do. You know, this is all, this is horrendous stress. Kid 17 years old, his mom is a single mom working, trying to make a living. Imagine what their lives are like. $2 million bail? Come on, it's unconscionable. So they're living with this. They're in the courtroom and they're watching the state, the state lie. Now, thank God the judge, he kind of excoriated that prosecutor because the prosecutor's trying to say that because Carl Wittenhouse didn't talk, didn't say anything. That's evidence that he's guilty or something. Come on. You know, the first thing you do, don't say anything. Anything you say can and will be held against you. You got the right to remain silent, the Fifth Amendment. You don't have to say anything, and you shouldn't. And the kid had enough sense not to say anything. So silence is golden. This guy tried to beat him on the head with it. Like he's been, thank God the judge stood up and excoriated him for it publicly. And that might have helped. Again, I'm not a professional, but it seems to me you should know the answer to the question were you pointing your gun at him, right? Or what were you doing in Kenosha? Why are you trying to put out a fire? Come on. The guy just looks like an idiot. He really did. I don't know how he got to be a district attorney, a prosecutor. I have no idea. But Nonetheless, he was using these ploys to what? To trick the jury? I have no idea. But thank God it, it didn't work. And people saw through it. But Kyle Rittenhouse, his mom, his family, they're sitting through this. You know you're innocent. I used to love to go to the, there was a, there's a bar in Daytona, Boot Hill Saloon. They used to have these great slogans. And bumper stickers on this slogan. 
You know when you're a winner. Yeah, you do. But you know you're innocent. You know you didn't do anything wrong. But when you're sitting there and you're listening to all this stuff and you're looking at this jury, you don't know that they're going to agree that you're not guilty. That you don't know. You just don't know. And how does your mind work? I have anxiety when I'm in these tight places. I'm not paranoia, but, you know, I go through tunnels sometimes and I feel the world came in. Honest to God, it's horrible. I'm going through the Midtown Tunnel. Doesn't happen all the time, thank God. But I go through the Midtown Tunnel and this traffic, so it's slow. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like the world is caving in. And b believe me, it's a horrible feeling. I can't explain it. But if you've ever had the kind of, you know, it's, it's more than stressful. I can't say it's physical because it's not. And in some ways, it's worse. I can only equate sitting there at this defendant's table, looking at the jury, listening to people condemning you, saying these things, and you've got to wait your turn. It's got to be. And then the jury goes out, and they're out for a day, and you're hoping they're coming in with a pretty quick verdict because it's gotten dry. It's clear and obvious. You put out all the evidence, and another day goes by, and they don't come back. And then the third day, and all of a sudden, now your lawyer's going, oh, my God. Can you imagine the, the, the emotional roller coaster? You've got to hear your heart beating. I can't even imagine what they put this kid through, but they did. And he went through it, and he went through it like a man. I mean, when you saw him on the witness stand, he was just calm, cool, and collected. He never let them see him sweat. He was just grace under pressure, the definition of it. And I don't know if we could have had a better situation where somebody actually defended themselves, actually let the world see the Second Amendment at work. This is exactly what it's all about. We couldn't have had a better human being to represent all of us, the best in America, because that Second Amendment is precious to who we are. It's so important. And why liberals always trying to tear it down and rip it apart and delude it, if they could get rid of it, they would. You'll know that. And going through, living through the system. But now, not only do you see the system at work and how difficult it is and how tough it is and Thank God he could afford the lawyers. Thank God he was able to raise the money and do what he had to do. People stepped up. But what if he couldn't do that? What if it was just Carl Rittenhouse, this kid from Illinois, and it, it happened under different circumstances that didn't get the coverage and didn't get the exposure, and people didn't see the war and outrage and didn't know right away. Oh, yeah, this was self-defense. They knew the first minute it was self-defense. Everybody that saw it, everybody was there and all the witnesses and all the videos that would take it. You could see it right away. There was nothing that happened that was different from when it happened then until now when it's in trial in court. 
except now it's being recorded and shown for everybody to see and for the other side to take shots at. But everybody that saw it when it happened knew immediately, okay? So if he couldn't afford that, I mean, you're talking about huge amounts of money. What would they have done? What would the Rittenhouse family have done? They would have copped the plea to something. This is a DA. This, the people who run Wisconsin, that governor. I mean, they're responsible for all this happening. They've done nothing to stop this. They should have called out the National Guard. They should have taken care of this town. They wouldn't have needed Carl Rittenhouse to come down or anybody else. But no, they defunded the police. They were told, bring in the National Guard. Bring out 500 National Guard members. Bring out, do what you need to do. No, they're not doing it. They brought it on themselves. And then they poured fuel on the fire by not standing up and saying, that cop did the right thing. He had to shoot. That criminal had a, had a knife in his hand. I mean, say it. Come out with it. Stand up. Stand behind the police. For crying out loud, they're standing behind us. Just step up. Was he going to let Kyle Rittenhouse walk? No. They would have done everything that they could have if this kid wasn't able to gather the forces behind him that were able to support him through this process. God knows. He'd have gotten something, hopefully not life, but he would have gotten something substantial. And his life, as he thought he knew it, would have been over. But now, on top of seeing the system, which is so cruel, now we all see it as the corruption that it is. We see corruption and what it really looks like from the DA to the media to the politicians. I mean, this is a nexus of all of the justice system, and you can't call it a justice. This is an injustice system. And this is not injustice because you're black or white. This is just injustice. I feel badly for anybody and everybody that has to go through the system, and it happens. And it's exasperating to think that things that we want to believe in we can't. And if this trial did anything, it exposed this nexus of a justice system that's totally out of control and corrupt, together with a political system that's corrupt, together with the media. How, what can we say about it? This corruption, it's beyond corrupt. I don't know if the right word is even in the dictionary to describe how guilty the media is of distorting the truth, trying to say that something is true when it's not just telling a lie, but building a whole narrative around the lie. They come up with a scenario, where they come from? What do they do with it? What's the reason why? Because it quote unquote, fits their narrative, and oh, it fits their narrative. And you see it. Now that you've seen it, you look back, you see it right here in front of us, and you look back and say, wait a minute, who else did this happen to that we've just witnessed over a little more time than a one year or a couple of months or a three-week trial? But 
Didn't we see this with Trump? Didn't we see something similar? The media, the politics, the justice system, out of control. Wrong. Everything from the FISA court to the Mueller report. Everything was, it was all a lie. It was all a distortion. Everything they did to this man. And now we can look back. And I know it's nice to say, well, yeah, if you look at Rittenhouse, look at Trump. The other side is open too. But look at the damage they did. And by the way, I don't think that people like General Mike Flynn or KT McFarlane or some of the others would agree that it's over too. Because there's plenty of people got dragged through it and beat up and hurt. And it cost them their homes, their savings. These aren't victories. I'm glad we won. I'm glad we're winning. Trump paid a huge price for these lies. Let's just say for a minute, which I don't believe for a minute, that the election was honest, that Biden got 81 million votes. Can't say it with a straight face. I'm sorry. But let's just say it did. Where did it come from? It came from five years of lies about Donald Trump. People are believing all these lies. So many people are believing what he did in Virginia, what he said down in Charlottesville, that he condoned white racism or white this or white that, whatever. He condoned all that, the KKK, that he condoned it. It's bullshit. He never did. They took his words and they distorted it. And they, they stayed with their distortion. They stayed with the lie. They never backed off it. People are saying that Carl Rittenhouse should sue the media. Yeah. Hell yes. He should sue the media. He should sue every one of them, including, and the politicians, but, and including the president of the United States. He should be suing Joe Biden for what he said. They, can, they asked him what he thought of the verdict. He said, well, you got to go with the jury. But some of us are angry. And man, and I'm included in, what? Is that what the president of the United States said? He's angry? Why? What that says is the verdict was wrong. What that says is he's condemning Kyle Rittenhouse along with the entire left wing. It's unacceptable. And I really believe that this is going to go to litigation, that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come down. And by the way, when you do these things, the truth will come out. There'll be people covering it. And people will start looking at other sources for their news. Because as we can see, the facts that this media, that media, that they've been like, people are going to start looking at that and go, I'm not going to believe that. They say the internet is full of theories and this and blow. But you know, it's the same thing as the New York Times, the Washington Post. It's the same. Hey, you're going to believe that? No. Conspiracy theories? Oh, my God. What is this? A conspiracy of the left wing that shows up on the front page of the Times or the Post? But is that what the conspiracy theory is? Seems like that to me. Should Kyle Rittenhouse sue? You're damn right he should sue. And this whole country should be behind him. And if we're going to see two sides in the country, this is as good a place as any to line up on one side of Kyle Rittenhouse or the other. 
I'm going to get to a uh, Thanksgiving post coming out next. I'll be doing that in the next few days. Um, riding again, driving to Florida. I hope to see my nephew, Darren, and Cindy tomorrow. Spend time with them. I'm looking forward to that. Right now, believe it or not, here I am in Tallahassee at this Hampton in the backyard with a fireplace behind me, a raging fire that's great. Smoking the cigar, doing my podcast, and thankful for this great country where at least we could talk about this, where all this will be exposed. It will come out. Transparency is possible in the United States of America. Let's be thankful for that. I know Carl and his family are going to have the best Thanksgiving ever, and we should also all be thankful for that. And I'm thankful for all of you out there. And I hope you guys keep on subscribing. We keep on growing. We're not going to slow down. And neither is the United States of America. We got obstacles. We'll get over them, past them, under, over them, around, or through. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. And we'll be back with another episode of Thanksgiving coming up. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio Podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.